All right, all right. Again, do me a favor. Welcome our first-time guests as well. Put your hands together. Please, please. And those online as well, we welcome you. Um, As I shared, we had a membership meal this past Thursday night. Awesome, phenomenal time together. And uh, more and more people, they say, Hey, how did, you, how did you hear about us? We're hearing online. So we hope you feel welcome. We hope you feel loved. And we know that God has good days ahead. Those on you in line and those in you in person, uh, we believe the same about you. All right? So uh, we're just grateful that you're here uh, worshiping with us. And I believe today I've got a critical message for you. All right? A critical message for you. Let me share my heart and then we'll get into the message. You'll probably pick up on it just from the title. The title of today's message is Overcoming Opposition. Two words, overcoming opposition. God has an incredible plan for your life. And some people don't like that. The enemy of your soul would love nothing more than to overcome your future. He would like nothing more that you don't step into the goodness and the hope that God has for you. He would love nothing more than to disappoint, to discourage, and to get you basking in despair. Today I want to equip you. I want to encourage you, not simply in my own strength. No, no, no. But through the power of God's word. We've been in a series called Nehemiah. Nehemiah, it's uh, in, in some ways... Ezra and Nehemiah, it's one book in our Bible, it's in two parts. You've got the book of Ezra, then you've got the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah doesn't come to us as a mountaintop story. It actually comes to us in a valley season of the people of Israel. God's holy chosen people in the year 586 B.C., something tragic happened for them. Another empire, the Babylonians, came in to their city and to their beloved promised land and uprooted them. One of the things that these conquering nations would do is as they came in, yes, they would slaughter, they would pillage everything perhaps you've seen or heard in the movies. It happened in real life, and it's a tragedy. And they not only just conquered your land, but they were kind of, if you will, quite pragmatic about it. And so one of the things they would do is they would actually let many live, but they would uproot them from their beloved homeland and move them to an entire different place. And so the people of Israel, that part of uh, the Middle East, that holy land region that we know of, they they took them up, took them out of Jerusalem and shipped them off. Several days, several weeks journey all the way to, in some cases, what's modern day Iraq and Iran. But here's what's incredible about our God. God meets them even in exile. God speaks to them even in that valley season. And he uses the prophets. He uses people who have a passion and a zeal from God to encourage and to promise. And honestly, to call them to repentance. Because Israel is a familiar story. The exile is a familiar story. All of us have experienced exile. And honestly, sometimes still step into exile. Exile is what happens when we say, no God, not your way, my way. Exile is where we find ourselves when we say, you know, God, I like your ideas. I like some of your advice, but I'd rather do things my way or my family's way or my friend's way or my neighbor's way or America's way or the world's way. And so you play to the systems and the principalities and powers of darkness. Here's the deal. Sometimes unknowingly we trust in idols. And God in his loving kindness and his graciousness He meets us even as we've turned away from him. His word says he never forsakes us. He never turns away from us. And so sometimes in exile you feel like, huh, God's forgotten me. The truth is God hasn't forgotten you. You may have lost lost your way a little bit. Some of your, the consequences of your sin, the consequences of poor decisions, it just is what it is. God allows you. He, the, the Romans chapter 1 says, actually, he gives us over to the desires we want. 
And so exile is a real deal. And lovingly, God sends somebody across our path, right? Maybe you work somewhere and God sent a boss across your path. And, man, you hated them. You despised them. You thought they were stupid. But God orchestrated something. You were far from God. And maybe after a while, you didn't realize this, but they came in early to your workplace. They were playing, praying over your office. And you didn't know why, but all of a sudden they invited you to church. And you thought, I don't do church. And then they pushed pause on that, and they, they kept coming to you, and they just said, hey, God loves you. And that, that freaked you out a little bit. What, what, what happens in that moment? Maybe you've been that boss or that person. What happens in that moment? You're, you're speaking to people who are in a spiritual exile. You're letting them know God loves them. God has a hope. God has a future. God can rebuild what's broken down. He can restore and redeem and heal what the enemy has stolen. From our lives. That's Nehemiah. If you need to, you can go. That's it. But <laughs> some of you just got really excited. Calm down. Calm down. I still have places to go. <laughs> Nehemiah is a story. It's a bit obscure, but it's a story of a man who burned with a passion and a vision for his homeland. He was in Babylon serving the king. He was the cupbearer, which wasn't simply just providing wine. It had some political connotations to it as well. It's positioned by God. and He had heard a report. He thought things were good, that some of the exiles actually went back to Jerusalem, started building things up, getting things going. But he heard a report that actually it's not going as well as planned, and the walls are still torn down, and things aren't, aren't, aren't going well, and it's, we're actually a disgrace to our neighboring nations. And Nehemiah found himself broken in that place. And he turned to God, and he called out to God. He repented, and he prayed, and he sought God's advice. And here's the beautiful thing. He actually got into the vision, the purpose, the plan that God had for him, and God used him to do great things. And some of you need to know a truth today, that just how God has called you, how he has set you apart, how he has given you a dream, a hope, and a future. And I know what that feels like. And your expectations are soaring. And for a season, the wind's at your back. But after a while, you begin to feel the weight of opposition. And after a while, you realize, man, not everybody is for me. Not everybody is as excited about the vision, the purpose, the plan that God has for me. And let me tell you what many people do at that time. The moment opposition arises, they pull back, they push pause, or they prematurely stop their destiny and the future God has for them. But come on, turn to your neighbor right now and just say, that ain't me. Just do it right now, say, that ain't me. That ain't me, baby. I'm not quitting. I'm not giving up. And today I'm going to equip you because I mean this. I got this. I just got the sense in my spirit. That there are people here today who need to hear you're an overcomer. You are an overcomer. And listen, hear me loud and clear. You may have no idea how you will be able to step into all that God has for you. You will have no clue. You've got big dreams, a big passion, a big purpose. God's called you, man, go back, build that wall like you did to Nehemiah. And you're like, what? <laughs> How? Would he encourage you? That may feel like opposition. Shut it down. Hit the lead on that and say, I trust you, God. I trust you, God. I trust you, God. I trust you, God. And then it's good. You know, we, we like to talk about self-talk. That's very important. But have you ever heard of self-slap? That's where you just kind of, I trust you, God. I trust you, God. I trust you, God. You, get, you have permission to just kind of slap yourself, to, to slap off the lies of the enemy. Man, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. God is for me. God is for me. God is for me. Lord, how long is he going to sing he is for you in that song, The Blessing? Well, if y'all got it the first time, he could just sing it one time, okay? But what does he do? He knows we know one truth. All this week, man, the devil has tried to discourage you, he's tried to disappoint you, and he's tried to distract you and lead you to despair. 
He can use our workplace. He can use the pressures, the stresses. Parents, he can use the weight of the responsibilities that you find yourself having on a daily basis. He can push our buttons. But know this, that God will lead us forward. And there are keys I'm going to give you today, tools I'm going to give you that you can write down, and verses in, from Nehemiah that you can take heart and move forward into what God has for your life. So, Nehemiah chapter 3. We're going to be very brief in Nehemiah chapter 3. We're not going to be spending too, too much time. Nehemiah 3 is a good chapter, right? It's the, it's the happy chapter, right? It's the, it's the new job, new friends, new workplace, everything's going great, everything, man, you show up to, to you know, out the front door, and you, you, you don't tell anybody because you sound crazy, but you quite convinced the, the potted plants started singing your praises as you walked by. You're just like, go, Paul, go, Paul. <laughs> I'm dating myself there. All right. Well, they just, they just singing your praise. So then, and then of all things, you turn on the radio, and they play in your jam. Well, first, you turn on the radio. You're like, man, why does my wife always turn on country music? So you turned from country music to another music, and then you were encouraged, and you were, okay. Well, what I'm saying is everything's good. Everything's flowing well. Nehemiah 3 is notice. We can bring up this slide, please. As we talk about all that's taking place, it is rebuild, rebuild, rebuild. Things are going for Nehemiah. I have here. I hope it comes up, but it's the gates that are rebuilt. <laughs> this is the Bible. I didn't come up with the names of these gates, okay? Sheep gate, to which everybody said, thank you. You know, I'm looking at these other gates. Let's not do that, okay? We'll just, we'll just do that. <laughs> fish gate, you'll see why in a minute. I think I just stepped into something, pun intended. Sheep gate, fish gate, old gate, valley gate. Dung gate. You high schoolers, refrain from any sound effects on that one, please. The fountain gate. The horse gate. Adjoining sections. We can kind of move through this quickly, but I want to tell you, it is, it is, it, it, if you were an Israelite reading this story, you just felt the wind at your back. You just felt the faithfulness of God. You just recounted that when all hope seemed lost... God supernaturally intervened. You see, in, in chapter 2, Nehemiah approaches the king, and the king writes letters on his behalf. The king sends, in our modern day, millions of dollars with him, sends an entourage of people to help build up these walls. And so chapter 3, it doesn't happen alone, but it happens with the help of God that, that, that the fish gate... <laughs> is built up. The valley gate, what, what's happening? Jerusalem is being built up. Because you got to remember, cities in that day and age, the walls had to be fortified to protect the inhabitants. So you've got families, you've got young children, you've got women, you've got businesses, you've got culture was found within that city, right? We've got to go back 2,000 years ago to get a, oh, actually, 2,500, 3,000 years ago to get a picture of that in our mind. And so these walls were down. And what that meant is the enemies could just flood. They could just penetrate. They could just permeate. You know, it's the truth about our, our, our families. That's what I've encouraged in the series, right? When, when walls of our finances are torn down, the enemy can sneak in. When walls of our relationships are torn down, the enemy can sneak in. When the wall of, of our identity is torn down, the enemy can give us a false self, a false identity, and we lose who we are. And so for our lives, it's so important that we rebuild what the enemy has stolen, and Nehemiah is doing this, and everything's going well. And then opposition comes, and in chapter 4, it comes like a flood. The first opposition that comes is in the form of discouragement. Hear me, hear me on this. Can we bring up that slide, discouragement? Here's how I want you to think about this. Discouragement divides. Discouragement divides. It severs us from the courage and confidence we need. Discouragement, it divides. 
divides us from the confidence and the courage that we need. Nehemiah experienced this. We can bring up those verses, and I'll read along here. It begins right in verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? If even a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their wall of stones. You ever have a Tobiah in your life like that? You ever had maybe, maybe a parent? You start coming to church, man. You start, start, God starts doing a good work in your life, and, and, and they just look at you like, what are you thinking? Man, I know who you are. You know, who, you know how our family rolls, and you're like, uh, you know, I'm well aware, but I'm in a new family, like, like, I love you, but, but God's brought me into a new family. He's given me a new identity. He's given me, and, and, you, and maybe that's some of you, the first opposition, and you're just like, oh, dang it. <laughs> I could have really used some encouragement, and instead, I've got discouragement. You know, you think about, you think about that. I wish, I wish the enemy of our soul waited till we were young adults or adults before discouragement comes. Oh, no. Oh, no. He feasts <laughs> on the younger generation. So maybe you're coming off, you could still remember those memories of those words, right? Yeah, yeah, you hit a home run. And everybody's applauding. You look over there and dad's not there. Mom's there and she's encouraging you. But dad's not there. And all of a sudden, a great moment is missed. And you have to deal with the discouragement in that moment to your soul. And so you're trying to move forward. You move forward in life. But that memory still lingers. Discouragement. It's a powerful tool of the enemy over our life. I know it well. I know it well. You would think. Everybody loves Hillside. And what God is doing in the area. And we reach people. Especially with our online presence. But y'all we got to sometimes hide some comments. You don't ever get to see them because we get to them before you can read them. People who don't even believe in God, they just make it their habit <laughs> to pray on, hey, how can we pray for you? <laughs> discouragement, discouragement, discouragement. It's a powerful tool and vessel of the enemy. And it stings, but here's where it matters. If we're not careful with how we handle discouragement, it will divide us from the courage and the confidence we need to move forward. Nehemiah, I'm going to share that in just a few minutes. Nehemiah knew what to do. He knew whom to go to for the source of his strength and his hope. But Disappointment is the next one. Disappointment, and disappointment divides us from the faithfulness and the good work that God is doing. Disappointment divides us from the faithfulness and the good work God is doing. Come on, many, many of you may be familiar with this. It's, it's when you get the, the 9 out of 10, and the person looks you in the face and says, well, why did you miss one? That's disappointment, right? I got a 9 out of 10. Yeah, let's talk about the one you missed. And what that does, it begins ringing in our mind. It begins drawing into us. Oh, my goodness, look at this mistake. And so we begin to cycle this. Disappointment, if we're not careful, can happen. Here's what's funny. It can happen to us, and if we're not careful, we can project it onto other people with unmet expectations. Unmet expectations. Man, I thought you were like this. I thought you were like this. I thought you were like... And so all of a sudden, these unmet expectations, we find ourselves in a marriage. But all we focus on 
is not the 99 things they got right, but the one thing they keep getting wrong. The one thing they refuse to change. So all these blessings, but fixated on the disappointment. Now here's why this is a big deal. It's not a one-off. If we're not careful, discouragement and disappointment becomes a way of life. And so here's where it gets really interesting. We don't gravitate towards life-giving communities. We gravitate towards either isolation or cynicism and sarcasm. It's strange, but if you have a framework of disappointment, if you have a framework of discouragement, that becomes something you become comfortable in. And here's just the tactic of the enemy. He gets you associating with friends that do nothing but pull you down and speak negative. And you're like, yeah, I know. What was I thinking getting excited? That was just stupid. Blah, blah, blah. And they all, you just begin bantering back and forth. And what happens is it's not a one-off. It becomes a way and a framework of living. Nehemiah was clued in. He understood of how he knew the neighboring nations aren't like, oh, great, you're coming back. Let us help. We'd love to help build your walls. No, 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 no. They wanted to have Nehemiah so discouraged, so disappointed that they headed straight for the valley of despair. Look at this. Despair divides us from trusting in God's goodness and his supernatural power. Verse 11. I love this. This is, this is kind of my sense of humor. It's like a little tag tagline. I've got that dry British sense of humor. I apologize up front. And it's like, it's like everything's bad. It's like, oh man, it's raining. The clouds are dark. Oh, and by the way, it's going to hail in 15 minutes. You know, it's, it's like, oh. You know, verse 11, I love this. It says, also, 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 also. Our enemies said before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. Wow. I love Nehemiah. The opposition, think of that. The opposition, can I tell you? Know this about yourself. Know this about yourself. Know this not only about yourself, but know this about the enemy of your soul. Discouragement is a powerful tool. Discouragement is a powerful tool. You, or excuse me, not you, your brain is incredible. If you've never done any studying about the brain, it's phenomenal. I won't bore you with all the statistics and data, but it is phenomenal. But here's what brain scientists will tell you. Negative thoughts, negative perspectives, negative experiences, they take up most of our memory bank unless we intentionally get a hold of our thinking. The data is out there, not by Christian science, not by like Christian statisticians or, or Christian neuroscientists. No, 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 no. It's just out there. Negative thinking, always interpreting in what I call the Eeyore personality. Uh, well, that's just bad gas. But, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you've got to be careful. You've got to be careful. Because here's what happens. Well, I'm just going to blame them, blame them, blame them. No, no. Let's not play the blame game. Let's take responsibility for who and whose we are in Christ Jesus. We serve a God. Last time I checked, we got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Still got two-thirds of the angels. We got all the priesthood of believers. We got all the cloud of witnesses that had gone before us. The odds are stacked in your favor. I mean, instead of living life with a sense of impending doom, 
Why not live life with a sense of impending goodness of God? Man, I don't know how this is going to happen, but I know my God. I don't know how I'm going to figure this out, but I know my God. I don't know, man, I, I am looking at some impossible situations. I know what that's like. And I know what it's like to play the doom and gloom, but I want to encourage you, focus on your heavenly father. Here's what's crazy. It is the area of my life that I'm probably the most intentional. I know y'all looking at me and think that working out is the area of my life that I'm the most intentional. So you're a little shocked and surprised right now. I get that. (laughs) That was a bad joke. Okay, but the reality is, the reality is I I go through seasons as well. I go through seasons as well. Y'all may have no idea the intentionality behind a smile. You have no idea. But can I tell you, it's the way we go from where we are into what God has for us. Is to fight. You have to fight. It feels like overcoming because you have to overcome the discouragement. You have to overcome the disappointment. For some of us, we have to overcome the despair and the lies of the enemy over our life. Nehemiah, it can be glorious reading for us, but put yourself in his shoes. He's leveraged everything, traveled all this way, going to build these walls, and man, They're getting every gate fixed. They're getting the adjoining features. Man, they're taking back, if you will, the promised land. God is doing good things. And next thing you know is the enemies are encroaching. We're going to kill them before they can get going. We're going to destroy these walls. Even if a fox jumped over it, it would probably fall apart. That's the equivalent of somebody looking at you and saying, man, you never amount to anything. That's the equivalent of somebody working out with you and being like, man, you're not worth it. Your friendship's not worth it. You're just not worth hanging out with. Ah, you're never going to be anything. Your future is bleak. You ever heard that? Ever felt that? Ever experienced that? Well, let me tell you, you are a son or a daughter of the living God. And I don't care what's been whispered over your life, but don't settle for the lies of the enemy because God loves you. He's got a hope. He's got a future. He's got a destiny. He's got a plan from where you are into where you're headed. You may have no idea how you're going to reach it, but God is able to do more than we can think or ever imagine. And he's got good days ahead of you. And there are times, man, I have to shake it off myself. You you, you wouldn't believe this, but I I can be an Eeyore. I know I come across like tiger, but I can be an Eeyore. And man, I have to snap out of it. Nehemiah shows us. Nehemiah shares some powerful truths. So I've got 300 secrets to overcoming opposition, since y'all are captive audience. No, I've got three. Three secrets. Hey, after that membership meal, let me shoot straight. I know some of you got 300 secrets, all right? But we're just going to talk about three secrets to overcoming opposition. These may seem simple, and I'm not going to take time with too many of them. The second one we'll spend a minute on, but this first one, very simply, this may seem, remember, part of your spiritual journey is you getting that new life skin. So you're getting some of those new life habits. You're going to make two steps forward, one step back. Two steps forward, one step back. So be it. Keep getting up and moving forward. This first thought is wait on the Lord. Some of y'all, you haven't learned how to wait well. When nothing is happening, something is happening. When nothing is happening, something is happening. You've got to learn to wait well. Most of us, we're in American culture, we've learned how to wait poorly. Yes, you have. Don't act like you have it. Right up the street here, y'all hit that McDonald's between 5 or 6 p.m.? Yeah, you act like you haven't. I know you have. How are that many people eating billions and billions of burgers? Shake that off you. I know you go. All right, and you, you, get, let's see, you get stuck 
You get stuck in that line. And all of a sudden, you take off that pastor hat. Toss it out the window. All of a sudden, you take off that husband hat. Sorry, honey. This may get ugly. You know, you just... I No, I'm kidding. You can't take that one off. Know that. But you just begin, hey, I'm going to be my own prayer. And all of a sudden, these words start flowing. And they come across really well. And then you start getting angry and you get upset because you just, you just were not accustomed to waiting. Can I tell you, though, when nothing is happening, something is happening, you wait on the Lord. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 4. Very, 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 very simple. Nehemiah prayed. That's worth the price of admission. Full stop. Some of you listen. Listen. You're hoping to get into your promised land. Like you're going to win the lottery. And then you're going to be angry at God because you got the numbers wrong. Like, no. You're just thinking you're going to slide in. Man, I'm just going to slide into them promises, baby. It's going to be easy. No opposition. No. No, 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 no. Shh, shh. Don't tell anybody I said this. It may be as hard as Hades to get in the promised land God has for you. You may feel the struggle, the opposition. Can I tell you, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You may be wondering, man, why do I feel the weight of that and the heaviness of that discouragement? Why do I feel that so deeply? Because the enemy's using it. Because he knows who and whose you are and the future that God has for you. He don't want you there. He would rather you just hang out. He doesn't want you there. And so we have to counter that as Nehemiah prayed. Hear us, O God. Hear us, O God. Waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord. There was a season in my life the Lord had to address something in my heart. He said, Paul, you sometimes get consumed with influence. You want more and more influence. And my ego is like, you're kind of right. He said, I, that may or may not come. But you need to pivot. Not influence, intimacy. Not influence, intimacy. It's not about a public eye. It's about the one we meet with in private. It's about the knees that are scrubbing up against that carpet. Then as you get older, you have to hold something to get back up. It's about the well-worn <laughs> carpet. You know, you know, the wooden floor and the little carpet next to grand, grandmama's uh, uh, lazy boy that she'd get on at night. Please, God, save my grandson. Please, God, hear us. Oh, God, what is she doing? She's waiting. What do we do in those private places in our life we're waiting on the Lord but man I don't see anything happening welcome to the party (laughs) there are many seasons I don't see anything happening but when that path becomes well-worn you grow in confidence you grow in peace and you know hey just because I can't see it doesn't mean I can't believe it will happen Nehemiah, it's just one line real quick, one line real quick. Nehemiah got on his knees and he prayed, hear us, O God. Isaiah chapter 40, this may be for you. Hear these. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the end of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men will stumble and fall. Listen, it's okay. You're going to get weary. You're going to get worn out. You're going to get tired. It will happen. You can't read Nehemiah's story and be like, what opposition? There's no opposition. There's no bad report in Jesus' name. Thank you. I'm just going to avoid the obvious. No, 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 no. It's a problem. We're weary, we're tired, we're disappointed, we're discouraged. I'm not saying act like it isn't happening. No. We affirm that difficulty and pain, that valley season. Isaiah does too. Even youths grow tired and weary and stumble and fall. But those who wait 
in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. I remember early on in our church launch training, the first session, the pastor, the first session was online. So he's looking through the screen. He's looking at us. He's like, I don't care what kind of quiet time and prayer life you have. You better ramp it up, baby. He was right. He was right. We need the power and the presence of God in our life. That only happens by waiting on the Lord. Getting in his presence. Can I tell you, that's why Sunday morning, it's always more than a Sunday morning. Think of all the things you've given up. I know for some of you, a list comes to mind very easily, okay? But think of some of the things. Think of the sacrifices. Think of, man, let's just shoot straight. How hard did your kids make it to get them clothed this morning? Somebody? Almost Sunday, you're like, where does this come from? How can you not pick out the dress we just picked out last night? We were good to go. They woke up, and they wanted to make a firestorm. Can I tell you the sacrifice, the energy, the gas you give, the, the, the time you take? Can I tell you? Can I tell you what you're doing in that morning? You're waiting on the Lord to renew your strength, refocus your vision. The second one, trust in his promise. Trust in his promise. Verse 9 of chapter 4, Nehemiah says, But we prayed to our God, and we guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. you got to guard you. I cannot guard your heart for you. That's your role. And you are fully able, fully equipped. God's given you everything you need. But I wish I could. I wish I could. Man, some of the trauma... Some of the drama, some of the difficulties you've walked through, man, I would wish on nobody. But I know that God knows. I know that Jesus still weeps with the brokenhearted. I know that our Heavenly Father does not abandon us or forsaken us, but He meets us in the difficulty. And here's what He does. He brings His healing. And He begins to resurrect some of those places that were dead and tired. But take a cue from Nehemiah. He set up a guard over his heart. He silenced the voice of the enemies and the evil ones. I know it's a symbolic token I'm taking. I know in the practical aspect, he set up a patrol. But can I tell you, you've got to set up a patrol over your heart, over your mind. He's relentless. I can find myself driving down the road, man. The flowers sung my name, the potted plants screaming, you know, everybody's for me. This is great. Free coffee. Somebody paid for in front of me. Man, it's just, oh, this is the holy day of the Lord. It's the best. You know, things are going great. Then I get a text. Then I get a call. Then one of you pulls that old iPhone up and gets on our Facebook thing, and you accidentally hit the angry face, but I don't know how to interpret that, and I'm discouraged. Why well, you got an angry face to post, baby? But you do. And so one, I'm just kidding. Y'all getting like, really? No, but I mean, one moment, one Negative word, one thought can begin to capture and wreak havoc, but you've got to. I've learned over time to set up a guard over my soul, to set up a guard. And here's the deal. Trust in his promise. Trust in his promise. I want to welcome somebody to the stage in this moment. Y'all get accustomed to the preacher sharing, and that's good. But this Thursday, I had already sent my message notes, and then we had our membership meal. There was a powerful story that was shared. And I've asked Dana, if you'll come on up, please. Do me a favor. Welcome, Miss Dana, to the stage. I want to. Right here, I think we've got Joel's mic, guys. Dana, thank you. I'm not putting her on the spot. I got her permission, y'all. But she's going to share um, part of what God has done in her and her family's life several years ago. I want you to keep in the forefront of your mind, trust, trust in the promises of God. It sets a guard over our hearts. Please, Dana. Well, about 15 years ago now, uh, when the day my daughter was born, we faced great opposition. Um, uh, Micah got stuck, and we had to do emergency C-section, and her heart rate just plummeted. 
and while we're in the operating room, um, and um, they brought Micah forth, 11 minutes had passed by without her breathing. And I knew any minute, it felt like any minute, they could just call her and pronounce her dead. And I'd already prayed every prayer I knew to pray. Um, but right before I knew they were getting ready to pronounce her dead, I said, Jesus, help my baby. And I heard a little tiny cough. And they rushed her out of the room. And they wouldn't let me up. And they wouldn't let her out of the nursery. And for hours, they didn't tell us anything about her condition. And after my husband had left and all my family left, I had one friend that showed up, a faithful friend. And she was in the room with me. And the doctor came in with just a laundry list of problems. He said she had a hematomid on the back of her head, a blood blister. Micah's brain had bled. Um, they her airway was really floppy, and she was having a hard time breathing. And they thought that was from brain damage. And that night it got worse. Um, Micah had a seizure and quit breathing. So they put her on a respirator, and they rushed her to Coastal Children's Hospital. And um, there was just a list. Um, after two days, I was allowed to get up and go visit my daughter. And they had finally taken her off the respirator. And when they did, she went into cardiac arrest. So um, the doctor couldn't even promise me that she would live through the night. And when I asked him when she could come home, he actually said, are you stupid? And... Uh, a holy anger rose up in me, and I said, my daughter will be home in two weeks, perfectly ho. And God honored that. And on the 14th day, that doctor signed her release papers. That same doctor signed her release papers. <laughs> yeah, um, oh, it's incredible. Incredible. But the amazing thing is, it, th those two, she didn't wake up for seven days. She couldn't hold her body, own body temperature. She was on a feeding tube. She couldn't suck or swallow. Her um, EEG was all over the place. And uh, they gave us absolutely no hope. But my husband and I were so desperate to see the promises of God. We got in perfect agreement. And we spoke the word of God over her. And we refused to speak our fear. And when doubt and unbelief would bombard our minds, we would mm. say, Jesus... Forgive us for our doubt and unbelief. Help us to keep believing. Mm. And God is just faithful, and I give him all the glory. Amen. Amen. And hold on. I want to I ask you. Everybody's story is unique. What an incredible testament. But I, I told her what got me is, because I've, I've shared this with you sometimes. In those critical moments, it's critical who we share with, and maybe who we don't bring in to the difficulty. And you don't, you don't have to go, go wild, but you don't even have to name them, but there were a couple people you just were like, you know, right now, let's not fill them in with all the information because we know their temperament. We know where they are in their journey of faith. And man, they would just kind of like the doctors, you had to push pause to all those voices, all those reports, right? A little, yes. little bit of that. Well, um, when, the little, when Jesus went and prayed for the little girl that died, he only brought in his three disciples with him and the parents. He left all the unbelievers outside. And we didn't want anybody to unintentionally speak death over our daughter. So we didn't tell our family what was going on. We only had a, a, we had a couple of friends that we let in the room to pray for our daughter that we that are very strong believers but we told our family Micah is fine and she'll be home in two weeks and that's what they <laughs> prophesied so um. that's incredible that's incredible T taking ground from the Lord and you know one of the reasons I wanted Dana to share is just because she lived this this isn't just a story she heard from somewhere else it was Jim Jim and her faith activated I won't share the reasons why this is close to my heart, but my parents have a similar story about my life, and we have not near the extent of this, we have a similar story about our nine-year-old daughter, and there are seasons and moments of life, and, and we don't project this as expectations on anyone else. There's tragedy, there's trauma, there's disappointments and difficulties in life, 
But Nehemiah did what you did. He shut off the voice of the evil one and the enemy. He didn't discount the reality of what the doctors were saying. But he also didn't allow them to speak over the promise that God had spoken. Thank you for sharing. I'm so grateful. That moved me so much today and on Thursday. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dana. And the truth remains for, for each of us. Listen, I want, I want to say this. I want to say this. You don't, you don't have to have a story as significant as that. But let me share. Let me share. You are just as significant. You are just as significant. And the same tactics that the enemy may play against my soul may be different than your soul. I want you to think about where he's trying to oppose the dreams, the plans, the purposes God has said in and over your life. And meet with him as you wait on the Lord. The reason I, I listed that as priorities because as pastors, come on, we can encourage, we can give advice. But my prayer is that you would hear the holy whisper of heaven. The holy whisper of heaven to speak your next steps to you. To speak supernatural tactics over your life and over the arenas of your life. Because I know that these may seem a little generic, but I know that they are powerful Unto us to wait on the Lord, to trust in His promise. And this is the big one. During the waiting, focus on fulfillment. Focus on fulfillment. And what I mean, I think I have that as plural. Fulfillments, meaning in the past tense. The nation of Israel, Nehemiah, would have passed on his way into Jerusalem. He would have in moments looked to his left, looked to his right. When they would have crossed some rivers, they would have seen something that, that you and I, we may not know the significance, but it's a huge significance in Scripture. It's called these memorial stones. The nation of Israel would work, walk past a region or an area and they would see a huge memorial stone. Sometimes a, a, a deep, huge well with a memorial stone next to it that had gone from generations before. And he, you can imagine his confidence growing as he looked and he saw a well that Abraham had dug and said, My God is faithful. My God will fulfill his purposes and his plans. He may have passed another. He may have passed the, the place where Jacob had that dream and thought to himself, well, if God can use Jacob, I know he can use me, somebody. And so he's just getting encouragement. Can I tell you, in our own lives, we have memorial markers. Some of you shouldn't be here today. You shouldn't be here today. You're supposed to die. Let's just shoot straight. Some of you, you've been in an accident. There is no way you should be alive right now. Some of you know, some of those things you did, and some of those substances you took, you should be dead. Just call it as it is. But you're not dead. You're alive. Some of you have felt the weight of depression that there's been nights you thought you wouldn't make it through. That you thought, man, you attempted to end it all. But you're here. God's not through with you yet. There's breath in your lungs. God has an incredible future for you. He's not done writing a beautiful story in your life. Whose voice over your future will you listen to? My prayer is that you and I would latch on and lean in to this book of Nehemiah, these words that hold true. There for some of us, there are walls we're rebuilding. And man, we just got six blocks up. And then Miley Cyrus came in like a wrecking ball. You know her song. And just, I'm not going to sing that again. You can catch that a couple months ago. But just smashed the wall. And, and we're just so discouraged. We're just so disappointed. Some of you are back in church and you're like, why are we even doing this? You're, you're thinking about it on your drive over. You're like, why am I even, again? Some of you clicking in online, like, seriously, again, God, why, why do you keep bringing me back? God's bringing you back because he says he's not done with you yet. And your mistakes will not define you. Your past and your heritage, it does not speak a louder voice than the blood of Jesus that cancels the record of sins against you. 
And that brings you into a covenant with God where he calls you blessed with a hope and a future. I want to do something. We never do this. That's always fun when a pastor says this. But I want us to close our eyes. We can hit some of that background music. It makes me feel better. Just with our eyes closed. If you felt the weight of oppression, like the enemy, for whatever reason, this last month, this last week, these last few days, he just, he just seemed to ramp it up. I want to first off tell you this is a safe place. I'm standing with you. But I want to invite you just into a holy moment. This is holy ground. Not because of hillside, but because God is going to meet you in this place right now. Would you stand to your feet if you've been feeling the weight of oppression in your life? Would you do that? Would you feel comfortable for some of you? I just want, there's no shame. Zero shame. Zero. In fact, we applaud you and encourage you. Let's do that. Let's applaud you, encourage you. Come on. Let's let it louder than that. Louder, 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 louder. Just want to invite you, if you put your hands just in front of you, just to receive, like in a, in a, in a way of receiving. This can be anybody. If you, you didn't even feel like standing, you still, hey, here's the good news. If you, if you just like, you know, that's me, but I don't feel like standing, hey, guess what? No worries. I want to encourage you, all of us. Let's lift our hands before us. God, we need supernatural strength. For some of us, Lord, um, it was pre it was in the middle, and it's been after the global pandemic. It just seems like difficulty after difficulty, disappointment after disappointment. For others of us, God, something happened just the last few days or the last few weeks. Holy Spirit, I ask you to do what only you can do. Would you comfort the lives of your people? Would you bring a calm to the storm of their soul would you whisper your identity over them would you whisper your truth would you whisper your hope would you whisper your peace God would they take heart not lose courage hear me loud and clear we need you we need you we need the dreams God's put in you we need the purposes God's created you for and I declare in Jesus name that you will live to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And I declare that he is your portion. You don't have to have all the details. You don't have to know the next steps. But you'll see today and in the coming days, the hope of God will be poured out over and in your life. In Jesus' name, amen.